You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. We'll be talking about Dusty Springfield, Dusty in Memphis. In the room, I have Rob, Hello. John, Hi. Anne, hey. and Ben. Hi. Dusty in Memphis is the fifth studio album by English singer Dusty Springfield, released 31st of March, 1969 on Atlantic Records. The producer is Jerry Wexler, RF Martin, Tom Dowd, and the genre is pop soul, R&B, and blue-eyed soul. And a lot of this is from Wikipedia. By the late 60s, Dusty Springfield was at the commencement of the progressive music revolution, the split between what was seen as underground and fashionable and what was pop and unfashionable. After her low-selling 67, Where Am I Going, and the 68, Dusty Definitely, that wasn't even issued in the U.S., her performing career became limited to the U.K. touring circuit of men's clubs, hotels, and cabarets. Hoping to reinvigorate her career and boost her credibility, Springfield signed with Atlantic Records, home of soul greats Dusty idolized such as Aretha Franklin. Although she was well-versed in R&B and soul songs, she had never released an entire album of R&B material. It was there in the American Sound Studios that Dusty created one of her best albums with the help of Memphis's A-Team at Atlantic Records that included backup singers, the sweet inspirations, and the tight backing band, the Memphis Cats. Although Dusty in Memphis sold poorly when it was first released, the album has since been acclaimed by critics as one of the greatest records of all time, winning a Grammy Hall of Fame award in uh, 2001. All right, what do we think of Dusty in Memphis? I liked Dusty in Memphis. Backtrack for a second. Did you say she has an album called Definitely Dusty? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry. And it didn't sell well? Dusty Definitely. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Reverse it. (laughs) Not that much better. I I liked I liked this a lot. The only song I knew going into it was "Son of a Preacher Man," and it to I guess to paraphrase Dusty, uh, a little bit of this album early in the morning better than a cup of coffee. I a few days this week I was I was like first thing in the morning I'd sit down to do some listening and I'd have my coffee with me. And it just, it fit right in. Warm, intimate. That band is awesome. Yeah, I, I was going to say the production is pretty on point. Yeah. I love her voice. It's just like velvet. I, I, I like this record a lot. Yeah, it's she's just really, really smooth. And, and for her to do soul numbers, you know, I guess a lot of us are familiar with her Son of a Preacher Man, but I didn't hear, you know, any of these other songs like Ben before. 
and having her do soul numbers, like she really takes to it pretty well. Her voice lends to it and it has a little bit of that pop element, but it's not overdone. Um, I thought it was, was really nice, really, really good album. Um, and yeah, the, the band's shit hot <laughs> and, uh, the backup singers are amazing. Yes. And well, yes, yes. And do you know in the backup band, the sweet inspirations, what, uh, eighties and nineties female R and B vocalists, mom, uh, was in the sweet inspirations. No, I do not. Shade? No, that'd be amazing though, because isn't Shade British? Uh, probably. And yeah. the sweet inspirations are Memphis group. Dusty's British. She's Dusty is British. British. So you, good point. She could have brought over some of that. There's Shade. more than one seats on that plane. No, no, it was not Shade. Okay. Okay. But good guess. <laughs> so who was it? It's Whitney Houston's mom. Oh. Yeah, Whitney Houston's mom, Emily Houston, aka Sissy, uh, was in the Sweet Inspirations, and it's great. So cool. I, I had no idea there was any type of family musical background there, but yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's this album really struck me as being one of those. I mean, we're gonna get to Elvis in Memphis. Is sort of like the comeback. It's like she released a couple albums. She had her her initial breakout and then it sort of retracted into low selling albums and she decided you know what i'm actually going to go to the place that i've been idolizing and kind of dreaming about it's almost like a not a vanity project but something that like like a dream project where it's like let's go to the place where i've just been loving all this music i've been trying to show british people what it what this soul music is and so i'm going to go to the that place and get jerry wexler who was oh, yeah. then at the time you know helping out aretha franklin yeah um straight from the source yeah go go to the source and record in the same studio get the same backing band and um see what you can do yeah but i read that it made her really nervous yeah and she like finalized the vocal stuff like elsewhere right yep so yeah, I think it might have been New York that where she finalized the vocals because she was intimidated. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it it worked eventually. Like everybody loves it now. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah. Another crazy thing I heard is that part of part of her nervousness was that she had produced all of her prior records mm-hmm. herself, which she didn't really put a producer credit on her prior albums. Yeah. So for this is this is the first time she's working with outside producers too, hmm. and it kind I mean it, it clearly worked, <laughs> you know oh, yeah. from all that turmoil uh, produced sure. something awesome. And Son of a Preacher Man was originally going to be an Aretha Franklin song, mm-hmm. uh, but they gave it to Dusty and she killed it. Yeah, wasn't Aretha Franklin's dad a preacher? Yes, and so it's yeah. daughter of a preacher man <laughs> yeah. becomes son of a preacher man. Like attracts like, man. Yeah, you'd think that if like you're in a preacher circle, you're probably yeah. gonna you hang out with the other with, exactly. preacher's kids at the preacher yeah. convention. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, preach con. Preacher con. Yeah. Exactly.
So this was a, I read this was a commercial failure when it came out. So yeah. what's up with that? I have no idea. I tried to dig into that too, why, why it just didn't hit. What, what do, what do you people want? I do think you it, not have ears <laughs> and a heart? <laughs> I think it could have been, it's a little easy listening. And if you didn't push things like son of a preacher man or something that would immediately grab people's attention on the radio, I feel like a lot of it's a little more in the background kind of yeah. kind of vibe. There's a market for that though. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and it's, it's. I think about... we're going to get more into a market in the '70s. Oh, it, absolutely, yeah. This is this is late... stuff for yachts. Yeah, this is still <laughs> the you know psychedelic sixty transition over yeah that's a good point speaking of there's a sitar solo in uh, in the land of make-believe <laughs> and do you know who wrote in the land of make-believe and why that leads right into your statement about it being yeah. easy listening is was it willy wonka close oh. <laughs> the willy wonka of easy listening burt Bacharach. <laughs> oh that makes sense <laughs> so yeah, yeah this he like... kind of is <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he may have written that song about, you know, the Candyman can. That sounds like a Bacharach song. <laughs> Lemon drops keep falling on my <laughs> But yeah, it's amazing who gets featured on this album, sort of behind the scenes a little bit, as people that later became greats. Like, two of the songs on this album are Randy Newman songs. Oh, really? Which yeah. ones? Uh, let's see here. There is... I Don't Want to Hear It Anymore? Yep, and Just One Smile. That's cool. Yeah, yeah the I Don't Want to Hear It Anymore was one that... Uh, I mean, we're currently listening to it now, and it was one that like really st- struck me that I hadn't really heard that much. It's a hadn't cool track. Before. Yeah, it's very m- sort of melancholy, but just like there's some great know. tracks on here that just didn't get anywhere. Yeah, I think I think it's just that relaxed in the background kind of. I like relaxing vibe. anymore. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, music to do it to between the hours of 10 and 11. Yeah. In the morning. Do you want to do it in the morning on a boat? <laughs> well, here's the album for you. Yeah. <laughs> what what critics <clears throat> said this is one of the best records of all time. I, I'm, I, I don't, <clears throat> I'm, in, I'm enjoying it and I enjoyed it quite a bit, but I, I would never um. <laughs> have ever put that on like, oh yes, clearly. The, the, this this is the one that you should be listening to, like top ten desert islands. I, I don't. I think it's more like top fifties, right? Like yeah, I mean technically it's top thousand and one if we're going by the book. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it's made it into some top five hundreds. Yeah. And... and to tell you the truth, like not many Grammy Hall of Fame awards are. Do- Pardon me. How, How many, many cups gr- do you need over there? What the hell? <laughs> All of them. Two of them. Four, four cups. They call me Mr. Glass. Uh, yeah, but the I looked up the Grammy Hall of Fame, and there, there's not as many uh, Grammy Hall of Fames that you would than you would think. So this 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 yeah. received an award for for it. This album specifically. And what uh what record or what label is this on? Was this Atlantic? Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, fun story I read about that. Uh, old Dusty happened to be friends with a little person named uh, is it John Paul Jacob Jones? Jingleheimer Jingleheimer Jones Jones and John Paul Jones. Yeah, recommended uh, 
that Led Ze- that Atlantic should sign Led Zeppelin which is which is she should have got some money from that oh, God, I I so. seriously <laughs> a little bit of kickback yeah they got signed for 200,000 yeah. which was unheard of at the time wow just on her recommendation that's fine yeah. so nuts. even though she was sort of yeah. you know coming on her comeback she had plenty of clout in Atlantic i guess so just switched gears and yeah <laughs> I guess John Paul Jones used to play bass for her. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy. So, uh, not not to uh, go too far back in time with uh, bands we've listened to, but th- th- this is considered to be Blue Eyed Soul, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Well, where where does this fall into your Young Rascals dislike, Ben? Because last uh, I heard, well, I y- don't dislike Blue Eyed Soul. I dislike the Young Rascals. I like the so. Righteous Brothers. They're Blue Eyed Soul. <laughs> I like Hall and Oates. They're blue eyed soul. Right. <laughs> I'm just saying this is within like a couple of years, maybe a year of of the uh, the thing. But I like this better. I think the songs are better, and I think they're executed better. Hmm. Well, the Young Rascals. I think they are executed better. Yeah. yeah all right. The Young Rascals didn't have any of the Memphis sound. They didn't have the Memphis which, boils, which makes a huge difference. Yeah. Because this is what American Sound Studios that started this production, and that was sort of a offshoot of Stax or what became Stax. Stax was around. Yeah, but I think there was there's some sort of, like, I don't know, the full story. Oh, they're there, both but. from the same town. I'm sure there's some crossover there. But having, what do they call the band here? The, just Memphis, the Memphis Boys? Just the Memphis Boys? Yeah. Just them boys. Yeah, them, them boys. Yeah. Memphis Cats. Memphis Cats. Yeah. Cat Boys. Boy Cats. <laughs> Tongs. Thundercats. <laughs> exactly. Whatever they are, they're great. And it does, I think it adds a whole different element to the, to the album compared to like the Young Rascals, which is... West Coast? Who were they? I think they were East Coast. But oh yeah, they were uh, Jersey. They're Jersey. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. But I I don't remember like Young Rascals were a band. uh, I don't know how much extra instrumentation there was. I don't remember a lot. There was a lot. Yeah. So there was a bunch of studio guns on it. Uh, no, just really strange, like throwing in of a. instruments you wouldn't expect, but all done very, very well. So probably studio. I, 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 I would. It was too well produced for it not to be. Anyways, I, I, I just well maybe Young Rascals should do Young Rascals in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> I think for this though, it it's Dusty somehow elevates it beyond. She does have a really good voice. Her voice and her delivery is is just what always gives me you know kind of like goosebumps or yeah. something. It's it's kind of like that Jerry Wexler production of like her and Aretha. Somehow they they just know what's key within each song and how to to present it. I'm not saying every song on here is gold, but it, when it when it's good, oh, it's the best. Yeah. 
And the songs that kind of fade into the background, I don't at all dislike. Like, they're, like... Yeah. Not every song on this album is a hit, but, like, the... If you're going to call any of it filler, the filler, it still tastes good. Yeah. Hmm. It's got, it's got that consistent feel through the whole thing. Yeah. Well, at this point, you know, Wexler and the Memphis Cats are... They, they just do it in their sleep. You know, it's going to sound... Yeah. It's going to have that consistent feel, that effortless feel, because they just do it nine hours a day. Yeah, it's just song selection and yeah. who's presenting. Uh, Son of a Preacher Man was Dusty Springfield's... Last top 10 hit for 20 years. Do you know what song her follow-up top 10 hit was? Son of a Preacher Man? No, no. Son it of was, a Preacher Man was right, the, but, Oh, you like from Pulp Fiction. Oh, bring back. No. Was, I bet it was, it was the, slightly before that. The Pet Shop Boys. Pet yes. Shop Boys. Oh, it was Pet Shop yeah. Boys. What have I done to deserve this? Yeah. And they would have been number one on the UK charts, but they were knocked off by Rick Astley... Never gonna give you up. <laughs> Never gonna, gonna let you down. If you're gonna get knocked off, That's might as well guy. be by a, a meme. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> clearly it had some sort of sticking power. So. Blue-eyed soul eats blue-eyed soul. Oh, absolutely. Eats blue-eyed mm-hmm. soul. It's an Ouroboros of Begats. soul. Really blue-eyed soul. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how do we feel about it? I'm on the positive. I think Dusty's great. Um, like I said, I don't. I maybe don't like every single song on here, but has some really great, great tracks and her deliveries top notch. And they got great songwriters. The songwriters mm-hmm. here. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of Randy Newman and a lot of this easy listening. I'm usually not into, but she somehow transitions. She it sounds she, sincere. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Rob? I uh, give it a positive. There's. There's nothing really offensive on this. In fact, it's quite pleasing. And, uh, you know, I I like the way she sounds when she sings words at me. And the record still sounds fresh. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to give it a positive. It's it's not an album where you, you know, kick down doors and dance around to it. It's like slipping into a warm bath. And, and that's nice. Sometimes you just want to sit in the warm bath. <laughs> yep, I concur. It's beautiful. I think it's real polished, and I'm into it. I'm positive as well. Uh, I'm going to be actively looking for it in dusty bins. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely? Definitely? Definitely dusty, dusty bins. <laughs> uh, how much would you pay? For this one, I'd pay upwards of $10. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll keep my eye open. <laughs> this this has my, worked out before. I, yeah, it has actually. Uh, I have a eye patch, so my one. I said my eye. Oh. Keep it. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next time we'll be talking about Elvis Presley from Elvis in Memphis. All right. Thanks, y'all. Hmm.